Hello, and welcome to Covert Castaway. I'm Holly. Je suis Stéphane. Join us as we share what we learn and how we're making the transition to liveaboard cruising. Hello, this is Holly, and you get me today. Stefan is in class here in La Grande Motte, taking electrical courses, and later in the week, he's doing a second uh, series of weather courses. All good things. Um, so today, I want to talk about couples and spouses, and there's a good reason why. We also will be interviewing Nikki Henderson, which was so great. So stick around. But before we kind of dive into that, I want to just set some context. Over the last couple months, I've been able to take a lot of classes and jumped on as many boats as possible to really learn how to sail and maneuver in these lighter sailboats. It's very different than the boat we had previously. It just maneuvers differently, which I kind of talked about in a previous podcast. But with a year between boats, it's a super great opportunity for me to prepare and practice as I try to close the gap of experience that exists between Stefan and I. And while I've done passages and taken formal training and even have bareboat certification, in the end, to build confidence, I just have to put in the hours. And I got a lot of practice on maneuvering the boat last season at the helm uh, where I spent all season. But sort of all the sailing maneuvers and sail trim and sail changes were all led by him. And uh, so it's really good to understand all of those things and get a ton of practice, which I have uh, just in the last month or so. So really excited about that. So this brings up many interesting topics about how to set yourself up successfully as a couple when there is an experience gap. And, you know, not always, but more often than not, the there's one person on the boat that has more experience and the other person is really has a steep, steep learning curve. Again, this isn't in every case. There's a lot of couples new to sailing who are both new and are cruising and are learning together. But uh, oftentimes in the people we've met, we've seen that there's all there tends to be this gap that exists. He and I have really learned a lot together in the last couple of years sailing. And, you know, we've come a long way, but We've had coaches that really have helped us to continue to improve, uh, working together, communicating, and making sure we have a good team dynamic. And getting help to do those things is worth its weight in gold for sure. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took a ladies-only sailing class with Nikki Henderson, uh, who this was during Otomer Week. They have her come in and teach these classes. There's other great instructors as well uh, that I also took some classes from. And they host also these sailing days, which is like two days of regatta racing. And coincidentally, I was able to be on the same boat with Nikki at the helm. And I have to admit, I sort of love the racing now um, more than anything, because it's just such great practice doing all the maneuvers and sail changes over and over and over again, and doing them in a situation where I have to think through, you know, what to do and which sails to put up and what side of the boat to put them up on uh, or to start rigging them on and thinking about how the lines go. That's all just been really, really great. Anyway, Nikki was so generous with her time and I was able to sit down and ask some questions about sailing and what she observes, you know, when she's training women and also training couples as a team. 
she has such great real life experience doing this. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with who she is, just listen and you'll be amazed. In 2018, she became the youngest ever skipper at age 25 to lead a team in the Clipper Around the World race. And um, you can learn more about this race online, but essentially it has multiple legs and for every leg, a new crew comes on with varying degrees of experience. And um, her job is to get, you know, the boat to the end of the race across all these legs with new crews at every single leg. So anyway, her experience in doing that and the fact that, you know, she learned this at such a young age and um, was able to just take so much from that race in terms of creating remarkable leadership skills is humbling. And, you know, even if you look up the race results, her boat came in second which is a phenomenal achievement. Anyway, I really love this episode and I hope you do too. Special thanks to Nikki for being such a great coach and really helping people like me build more confidence and honestly inspiring us all to continue to push ourselves through our own boundaries. Really, really excited today to meet with Nikki Henderson. We've had a chance to spend a few days on um, a boat here in the Grand Mott. It's been Outremere week and also the sailing days, so there's been some racing going on, and I wanted to just have a little conversation and talk to you a little bit about um, a lot of the things I've learned from you and being on the boats is just you're an incredible leader. You have such amazing and remarkable leadership skills. It's so great. And also being able to train with people who um, are new as teams and are learning about each other and learning about the boat. So maybe to kick us off, you can just kind of talk a little bit about your background and we can go from there. Sure. Um, So I started sailing professionally when I left school, um, when I was 17, Um, originally as sort of a gap year thing. So a way to travel and to see the world and also have some sort of meaningful learning experience at the same time. Um, and I think, you know, as a 17, 18 year old, you're looking for ways to learn about yourself and learn about the world and people and relationships and all those sort of psychological complexities that um, a hormonal late teen is fascinated by. So Sailing is a, an amazing, I think, avenue to do that. It's really like spending time in the mirror. Um, and everyone around you reflects, um, reflects back at you, your, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, and who you are. So I fell in love with it, and I fell in love with the opportunity to travel. And so delayed university a few years, carried on sailing, realized you could do it as a job, um, saw an avenue to climb up the leadership um, ladder and very quickly became an instructor, a skipper. Um, and my career was shaped by sailing with people who don't know um, how to sail. So shaped by taking people who don't know how to sail, who don't know each other and making them into race teams. And um, yeah, the pinnacle of that ended up being probably the Clipper race in 2017. I got the job and um, race that came second um, much to my surprise, (laughs) I think as well as everyone else's. And yeah, after that carried on doing a little bits here and there and actually sort of 
took a, I'd say in, in all in all, I've probably done, um, maybe six, six or seven years of full career, full blown career climbing, and then two to three years of recovery. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, what I just loved about being on the boat with you is, um, your ability to sum things up very quickly about what the situation was, kind of explain what's going on, explain like what maneuvers happening and then help people kind of understand their play, their positions. And when Stefana and I are sailing, it's all about just getting the maneuver done. And so the problem has been learning as much as I could about how to sail from someone who is focused on getting the things done versus teaching me how to do it. And when you're cruising, and we talked a little bit about this on the boat, you know, when you're we're cruising, it's it's not like you're using your spare time to practice sailing or maneuver so much. You're sort of living your life and doing your things and traveling and focusing on boat maintenance or whatever has to happen. And so it really became clear to me that um, it's really important for the couple's dynamic, not only for me to get up the learning curve, but for me to communicate my needs in terms of helping him understand how to explain what's going to happen. So I would love to just, you know, have you share some insights in working either with couples or with teams on, you know, how can we work to be- together more effectively and, you know, communicate better? Because it's really about communication, I think. It comes down to quite a bit. So do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I think you almost kind of hit one of those points, which is if you're a couple and you're sort of trying to learn how to sail, you're trying to learn how to work with each other um, with the aim of, of, you know, setting off into the horizon and and traveling the world, I think it's, it's very ambitious to expect you to do that without some sort of outside instruction. Mm-hmm. I think to um, hire a, an instructor or a skipper and, you know, get someone else on the boat who really is a teacher, not just a skipper, because there's a strong yeah, difference. Yeah, there's definitely a difference, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. For sure. um, and get them to level you up. So, um, you know, for the more experienced part, um, part aspect, side of the partnership, um, for them to, to, to learn how to pull back and give space. And then for the person who um, is less experienced um, to empower them to step up. And I think that is so difficult to do if one of you is already the instructor. Yeah, yeah. You already have an ingrained hierarchy there. Mm -hmm. And it's, I I don't, I actually think it might be impossible for that to completely level. Really? Um, Yeah, without some help. Mm -hmm. So that would be one piece of advice. I think... um, the second thing I think is sailing is there's not a right and a wrong way. There's several ways to do something. And um, it's a processes sort of driven activity. Um, so, you know, breaking down the process um, is a very, it, it becomes a very logical step by step thing. Um, then the way in which you do each step is sort of down slightly to the boat you have and the way that, you know, you're built and your size and the way you like to communicate. And so just really, really breaking it down and almost treating it like, um, you know, creating almost like a a handbook for yourself, Mm -hmm. a go-to handbook of, 
um, okay, when, you know, this happens, what do we do? And then if you're having a discussion in the moment and things getting heated and people are getting confused, you have something to refer back to, um, which you have created for yourself. So it will suit you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And even one of the big discussions is always, he's really comfortable doing certain things, but I don't yet understand what we're actually trying to do. Um, so I'm assessing risk based on my just looking at the situation, not knowing anything about really what's going on and what needs to happen. And so what has been really helpful is actually just even breaking down the risk management plan. So into, okay, if the halyard breaks or is the halyard going to break, you know, like what are the things that you would do to recover from that? So just talking through some basic procedures, if bad things happened, makes me feel just a little bit better that I can just trust that he's got he's got the general maneuvering of the boat. And if something were to happen, I would know what to do. Otherwise I'm just always focused on everything that could possibly go wrong because I don't know how to prioritize it, you know, for him. Yeah, completely. Like, um, I think if you look at like sort of airline pilots, they spend, you know, every year they have to go back in the simulator and reenact, um, things going wrong and actually, you know, learn how to rescue the plane, even if they're never in those scenarios. And it's the same, it should be the same for sailors. And, you know, any sort of top, especially offshore or blue water, race skipper will be talking about this a lot, you know, the what if scenarios. And you're lying in your bed and you're always thinking, okay, what if the halyard breaks? What if the school comes? What if someone hurts themselves? And, you know, rolling through these steps of what you would do. And yeah, totally agree. Like you need to... Not just talk about it, but actually, if you can, reenact it. Do, like, the man overboard and some other things. Yeah, do the man overboard, um, you know, put the spinnaker up in slightly more wind than you're comfortable with when you're close to land, rather than practicing that when you're 1,000 miles from land in the middle of the ocean, um, where if it really goes pear-shaped, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And once you stretch your um, comfort zone, you... um, will find that you're much more relaxed when small things go wrong. That is true. And that's what's been great about this week. Even um, the last couple of days we've been racing, which has been really cool and something fun that I didn't actually think I would enjoy, but I really do. Um, because you get to do the maneuvers over and over again. And, and we had some, you know, we did some things better than other things, but, uh, it was really great to be learning. And I think the whole boat was learning, um, about at the same level, I think. Yeah, I think, I, I definitely think it's, you know, you can really, um, stagnate your learning curve if you don't, um, you know, push yourself a little bit mm-hmm. and racing's a really nice environment to push yourself because it's quite hard to justify you know putting up slightly more sail area or putting yourself in discomfort when you're meant to be having a nice time and you've got guests on board or you've got like the martini out. yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it makes it's no really sense. hard to do that yeah yeah great and so when have you seen um maybe can you think of a couple situations that um you know, have happened in your experience, either either at the Clipper race or some other people you've been with that offer good learning experiences, specifically for couples who are kind of embarking on this new journey and trying to figure out how to work together better as a team. Yeah, I I think it's cool when the couples learn learn apart and then they come back together. Um, Actually, just today, we I I had taught one of the women, um, another American woman this week and not her husband. And she came up to me today and she just said, oh my gosh, it was just so empowering to feel 
not that I was better than my husband, but that I learned something different to him. And so that when she came back on the boat, she could teach him. And it just immediately made her feel more confident and then and then also impressed him. So he trusts her more. And immediately they become like more like a team because mm-hmm. they have that um, sort of, yeah, mutual trust that they are not, it's not like a one-sided affair. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great one. Um, a racing environment also is great, especially like an offshore racing environment where you just become one of, you know, 10 or 12 people who are, you know, running this kind of bigger machine than you and um, everyone in a, in a offshore race or just an offshore environment goes through that kind of cycle, don't they? Of um, Sometimes they're having a great day, sometimes they're really struggling and everyone has that. So not everyone is not on their top form at some point. Mm-hmm. And that again is a great bonding experience. Mm-hmm. Like I know a couple is bonded, but it's a different type of experience. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, you do as a instructor and also um, a couple other instructors do is they talk about creating a calm environment on the boat and having a good vibe or zen or whatever it is. Maybe you can discuss that a little bit because that's not always <laughs> how it is, right? Yeah. Um, yes. The I mean, it's almost like a culture, like you would talk about mm-hmm. um, in a corporate environment nearly. But there are ways in which you can keep, as you say, keep it calm, keep it relaxed. Things like using hand signals or um, uh, sort of a lot of eye contact to communicate versus words. It's great, especially when you're on a bigger boat and you can't hear each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even the moment where you just raise your voice to speak to someone because they're so far away that they can't hear you and you just have to raise your volume. Um, even that can start to increase, uh, your heart rate. I think it can definitely (laughs) escalate quickly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think giving time for people to think is another one. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we joke as instructors, uh, have a good friend of mine and we say, we have this like speech impediment where you get used to saying, um, could you just grind the winch, grind the winch? Could you just ease the line, ease the line, ease the line? Uh, and we are starting to repeat ourselves because we're getting frustrated. And actually, if you could just ask someone once, give them time to think, think again, think again, and then do it. Mm-hmm. And that patience just slows everything down and stops the person receiving the instruction, getting frustrated and stopping to but it's good to give them some space to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that comes with, you know, uh, taking the lessons and understanding what's actually happening. Cause I think when couples sometimes get on the boat, not everybody, but it's happened to us, right? You get on the boat and you're like, you know, you're told, okay, pull the red line. And you have no idea what you're doing, you know, when you first start and you're just pulling the red line and, and then you don't know if it's enough or too much or any of that. And then the other person's frustrated because it was too much or not enough. And so just taking the time to kind of explain the maneuver before it happens too is something I think that, you know, we didn't always do that in the beginning for sure. It was just sort of, I was miraculously supposed to know what was going on on the boat and um, so I think, I think you know, def- definitely talking about it before it happens is super important. But then... Yeah, and also, like, there are some personal tricks you can have. Like, um, you know, I know uh, I have, like, quite a stern face if I'm really concentrating. So I try to make a really good effort to smile and to 
sometimes I even say, I even vocalize the words, well, that was fun. And I'm almost saying it to myself to remind myself that this is meant to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, when you feel a little stressed and you look at someone, if they're smiling, you immediately feel 10 times better. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think we can all make a bigger effort to do that for each other. Mm-hmm. And that keeps it happy as mm-hmm. well. And you said something on the boat the other day too, which is let's, let's all use please, you know, and I thought that was really useful too, because it just tones everything down. It makes it not feel so edgy and and urgent, even though sometimes it is urgent, right? <laughs> I'm very stereotypically British. <laughs> I love it's that. Like, let's just all behave ourselves yeah. and have good manners. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to talk about this is a this is a common topic between couples, um, which I think has to do with just the the risk tolerance. Let's talk about reefing um, because I think that's a good that's a good example of conversations that happen. Um, do you have any ideas for couples and how to kind of come to terms with that either ahead of time or while it's happening? Yeah, so reefing reefing's hard because um, you know some there is some school of thought that says like if anyone on the boat wants to reef, you should reef, um, which I don't necessarily support exactly. Um, I know why they say it. They want to keep everyone comfortable. But at the same time, uh, at times, reefing can make the boat feel more uncomfortable uh, if it's sloppy or, um, you know, that bit of momentum can help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're buying a performance boat as well, you're you're buying that because you want performance. And mm-hmm. undersailing that all the time is, is sort of a bit of a waste, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice I have is to decide... Um, you know, practice on your boat and decide together in a very calm scenario, okay, where do we think our lines are? You know, where should we reef by the book? And then um, if you're in this kind of deliberation between you two of shall we reef, shall we not reef? One of you wants to reef, one of you doesn't. And you're disagreeing, you go to the rule book. You know, you go to your guidelines that you made together and if and whatever those guidelines are, that's what you use. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, oh, it's the most conservative one all the time. Because mm-hmm. people have um, people have warped mindsets. It was really fascinating when COVID came along um, and they started putting restrictions in. I spoke to a friend of mine about how it really reminded me of reefing and how when you put a reef in, it's very easy to put one in. You know, you'll, you'll put one in... Um, you know, in 20 knots, and then you'll put another one in in 25, and put another one in 30. And then when you come to reef out, and you lift, um, you lift, lift the sail back up, and you essentially make it what feels like more risky, you can go right down to 20 knots with those three reefs and say, I think we should take a reef out. And everyone goes, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? And if you had put three reefs in at 20 knots in the other direction, everyone would have thought that was way overkill. So I think it's good to have that piece of paper that book and say well actually if we if we look at this we're being our mindsets being warped by um, emotion and fear and anxiety and actually we know that by the book this is safe Mm -hmm. let's talk about docking real quick uh, because docking and anchoring are the times when everybody's relationship dysfunction completely shows itself (laughs) (laughs) anything there any any lessons couples specifically can can take from that or you know two people um can you describe something that you've had that's difficult Um, oh gosh um we were coming into a, a dock in uh sicily 
And it was, you know, the wind was sort of pushing us on and we, we weren't yet fully comfortable doing complete stern in. So we've learned that now, um, over time and also here. And so we were sort of drifting towards it, which is fine. We had fenders out and everything. And then at the last minute, what I noticed is where they were supposed to have the old tires at the bottom. Um, some were missing because, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what happens in marinas. And I was just looking at the boat and looking at the wind, how fast we were going against it. And, you know, I was yelling, stop the boat, stop the boat. And he couldn't stop the boat. And then, you know, we're yelling at each other and and it wasn't terrible. It's just, you know, I think that was a good lesson learned on coming in. But then, you know, then everybody's heart rates up and, you know, you're kind of doing this and then you're kind of, well, what happened and deconstructing it. But, um, you know, the wind shifts in the middle of, of sometimes, you know, it's going quicker than you think or whatever, Mm -hmm. or you see a situation or or something like that. So, I mean, that's just one example. Yeah. I mean, that example makes me think of a few things. I'd say, um, first of all, to remember that if you hit the boat and you're not driving in gear, so just the wind blowing the boat, um, it's unlikely you're going to do much stronger than a, a a deep scratch or dent um and if you try to put that in perspective that is just a small yeah. gel coat or maybe that is a small true. fiberglass repair mm-hmm. and i think that's good to remember like it's going to be okay mm-hmm. um secondly i would say if you have anything um go change in the scenario to make sure you're passing information rather than instructions mm-hmm. so if you it's if ideally you would say um, you know, Stefan, the, just so you know, there are less vendors than we thought. Yeah. Just something like that. Then he can make a decision because he's in charge or if, if right. it's the other way around. Because if you say stop the boat, he doesn't know the scale of that emergency. Yeah. Is there a person in the water? And you that's know, is true. Is your leg caught? Or <laughs> is it? I think that's really important. And I notice I lose my brains when like things kind of start to go sideways. I, it's like I can't, I can't remember what to say. I can't find the right words. And I think that comes with experience. But... Definitely stop the boat is not helpful, right? Oh, uh, yeah, like I do too. I'm like, there's those, those thingies on the side yeah. of the <laughs> Um Yeah, the other one would be, um, if you can as well, rather than shouting at each other, to walk up to them and say, say it and then walk back mm-hmm. or maybe run if you need to. Yeah. Uh, because shouting, again, increases the stress. Um, another one would be, if you're handling lines to really try wherever possible to handle them yourself, or if you do pass a line to someone on the dock to ask for them to pass it back to you so that you are the only ones with the control of the boat, Mm -hmm. because you add another person into the mix when you're already stressed. And then they're thinking that they know what's going on as well. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really help things. Mm -hmm. You have authority over each other, but you don't have authority over a stranger. And that's a great point. Um, You know, maybe you can also, you know, from your experience, talk about third persons or fourth persons, because there's always an audience when you're docking of a bunch of people and they want to be helpful, right? Mostly. And so they start coming up to the boat and do this, do that. And then they're directing, you know, and so it can get confusing um, because I'm trying to listen to him and, and, you know, Stefan. And then there's other people kind of directing and telling him what to do and telling me what to do. And it can get a little chaotic. Yeah. I, it, the biggest nerve, the, the, the thing that makes me the most nervous is other people helping. 
yeah. actually. And so normally I will say, especially if I'm in a training environment, you know, to everyone on the dock, thank you very much, but we, we've got this, mm-hmm. um, which sometimes they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and honestly, it's, 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 it's interesting being on the other side because let's say today um, someone was docking against us and I could tell that perhaps they weren't doing it in the best way. And it, it took quite a lot of self-restraint to say to, to say to myself, actually, another voice here is not going to help. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just going to make it even worse, even though I feel like I know the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, try to minimize the people involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. And I, if you have any last kind of advice for people setting off and starting their own journey, you know, maybe uh, you- just good for you. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been on the water a ton, so and you have some interesting irons in the fire and some things coming up, and maybe a book will come out. Yeah, that's the latest project. Yeah, yes, very cool. Well, um, thank you so much for your time this week. Uh, as I said, your leadership skills are absolutely amazing and incredible, and I've learned so much from you, and I hope to continue. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now. Fair winds for now.